All right, welcome back to another Alignment Discussion Podcast, broadcast meeting of conscious creators. My name is Asher, and I am a conscious creator. Hey, I'm, here with, uh, I'm here with Nick and Ken. It's cool to use your real names today. Yeah, I'm fine. Fuck yeah. Okay, cool. Um, a little bit about our Alignment Discussion Podcast. Uh, this table is for those who are electing to actively participate in our Alignment Discussion. Usually, there's between two and four active participants per meeting. Active participants are encouraged to ask questions, share their unique perspective, and be open to answering questions from other active participants. Those not seated at the active participation table are invited to take on more of an active listening role. Please refrain from commenting or disrupting the discussion. At a quarter till, at a quarter till we'll open up the discussion for the active listeners so you can also share your perspective on the topic. The purpose of our alignment discussions is to engage in authentic, in authentic dialogue, to expand upon the conscious creator process, and make it more relatable and helpful for others. Our discussions are uploaded onto the Conscious Creator podcast, and portions of this broadcast may be included in the final edition of the Conscious Creator's Handbook. And now a little bit about Conscious Creators. Let me get my glasses because my eyes are like crazy. So, two. These are the best ten dollar buy I ever bought at the drugstore. Uh, a conscious creator's purpose is to fulfill fundamental. And like, here's the deal. So, you guys are just coming in off the streets. We're building a new spiritual practice for people in recovery, and so you're just sitting down and you're reading it and you're just absorbing it and you're going like, all right, cool. And then. After I read it, we just dive right into dialogue. Like, hey, I didn't get this, or I don't get that, or like whatever the deal is. However, you can bring understanding and your perspective and your experience to this. It's a new language. This 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 this, this material and the spiritual practice is a new language, and so you're basically here with that for an hour, and and you're relating it to your own personal experience. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate you taking time out of busy days to come down and help with this. Um, a conscious creator's purpose is to fulfill fundamental human needs and guide others who have a desire and willingness to do the same. Our fundamental needs are, number one, the need to physically feel, um, especially authentic human emotion. Number two, the need to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others. Number three, the need to relate and collaborate in ways that bring mutual fulfillment. Number four, the need to be free from the fear of imagined danger or threat. Number five, the need to share or exchange thoughts, feelings, and desires with others. Number six, the need to share a sincere and authentic connection with others. Number seven, the need to engage in careful thought with consideration of spiritual insight. Number eight, the need to develop gradually towards a more desired aim or state of being. And number nine, the need to bring something new into existence through deliberate and inspired action. Our process. After achieving physical sobriety, many um, find that their established habit patterns, or if people in 12-step, we would call them defects of character, diminish the quality of their recovery and increase their chances of relapse. To to sustain conscious contact with the greater power than self, recovering addicts need to become responsible for the mental effects of their undermining habit patterns. Our process is outlined in the following set of measures. Our process, something from Boston. Number one, 
we recognize those habit patterns which undermine our purpose. Number two, we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. Number three, we accept the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. Number four, we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number five, we acknowledge the true nature of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number six, we bring our perspective into alignment with a greater power than self. Number seven, we commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Number eight, we create space for new experiences by releasing what no longer serves us. And number nine, we consciously create new life-affirming experiences that fulfill our fundamental needs. A spiritual practice. We practice meditative mantras to help the trauma-affected mind become open to new life-affirming possibilities. Our spiritual practice mitigates the effects of self-defeating habit patterns, much like chemotherapy can shrink tumors or medication can make a virus undetectable. Our mantras help us to reconnect with the greater power than self gradually over time. This helps many to overcome their intellectual resistance through a direct personal experience. We meet regularly to cultivate a community based upon mutual fulfillment. We come together in a sincere and intentional space with the singleness of purpose that might otherwise be unavailable. And with that, uh, thank you gentlemen for showing up today. Um, thank you, Asher. Of course. When we're reading through that, is there, um, this is like a time where you guys can learn more about the process and through you asking questions and then relating it to your own experience, it's going to open up bridges of understanding to make it more accessible for other people. So I'll just open it up. Do you guys want to, does anyone after reading that have questions or comments or want to share on any of that or find out more about it? Or was it? Were they was anything that confused them? Was there anything that um, this is a work in process? So we're developing the process is done. The measures are done. The spiritual practice is done. But the method of delivering this to an audience and having it be something that's as practical and helpful as possible is all still up for grabs. OK, um, I was wondering if you could clarify uh, number nine mm -hmm. on fundamental human needs. Of course. Is there anything specific you wanted me to clarify? Um, I guess I just, the need to bring something new into existence through deliberate inspired action. Mm -hmm. um, do you have like an example of that? Well, for me, and I, we, we, we state the need because each person's going to name that need themselves. Like we don't want to like paint everything in for them, okay. but I call that need creative expression. Okay. And so for me, creative is something that's new as opposed to recreative, which is when we're living in our habit patterns, Okay. Uh, we tend to just recreate the same kind of experiences, familiar experiences, experiences that are easy for us to predict, number one, and control. Okay. And so the need to bring something new into existence is actually a person's uh, desire to be in alignment with evolutionary process. So our own individual evolution and then the evolution of our, you know, mankind only happens through leaning into newness and the unknown. Okay. And we're going to do that deliberately, which means we're consciously doing it and we know we're doing it. We're doing it with intent. And we're also being inspired by conscious insights. We're working with that greater power or perspective than self in order to bring new things into existence. I like that. Okay. Very cool. 
Um, yeah, so maybe mom was calling me. Yeah, so basically, and, and the reason for that is, um, so these, these measures are basically, um, if you, because we're all from like a recovery uh, background. So when six and seven, uh, and you've done six and seven, right? Yes. You're about to, you're still on four, but six we and talking seven. 12 steps? We 12 steps here? Or? Well, with what this is, it's like a, it's basically when you get through your fifth step and then you start doing six and seven and you start being like, hold up, like, what are my defects of character? What are the underlying habit patterns that were causing all these resentments in, in my, my fourth step? Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're going to actually recognize that all of these resentments are built upon a habit and it's a survival pattern and it's a pattern of like expression or it's a way that we've structured our lives starting when we were younger and we basically made decisions in response to experiences. So basically trauma or neglect happened. It doesn't have to be a big trauma. We didn't have to be like, like something catastrophic. It could have been like, like today's meeting where the dude got snubbed and he got called a name uh, while he was doing the chip thing. Like it doesn't take much for some people to just totally fall off the spiritual surfboard and be like, you know, like rollerblades. It's like, dude, everyone was doing rollerblades. And then someone met like, you know, someone was like, oh, if you ride rollerblades then you're gay and everyone like threw their rollerblades in the trash and no one, you know, for a long time, because back in the eighties, it's like, well, if I ride these things, that means I'm gay and I'm not gay. So fuck this. And they throw them in the dumpster. So it doesn't take much for a person to be affected, but what they do is they were, they react and then they create a pattern to avoid having to feel that way again. And so there's certain feelings that all of us are unwilling to feel and act and have again. And so then we start to just create all these patterns. And before we know it, we're just living automatically on all these survival patterns. Yeah. We've just conditioned and programmed ourselves. And each time that we react, we have the reaction, the trauma or the neglect happens. Someone abandons us. Someone does something that is impactful. We react internally we turn away from love, from God, from spiritual love and truth, and we, 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 we go unconscious, we become fearful, and we need control. And our way of controlling and predicting and making sure that we don't ever feel vulnerable like that again is to create a pattern of avoidance or create some way. Like, you, Does that make sense? Yeah. I see that in a lot of... Um... I, it's really, I think it's really hard to self-analyze that particular thing and like point that out in yourself and see that, but I definitely see it in people around me. So you can identify it you in know? others, but yeah, it's a little harder to see it in ourselves. Yeah. I and, think that's true. For and, so, and, and so in the attachment addiction thing, so in, in, in conscious creators, we're, we're, looking at we're looking at addiction as kind of an attachment disorder. And so people had these experiences happen and they had two fundamental reactions. Number one, the world's scary. It's crazy. It, it's fucked up and I need to protect myself and I need to take extreme measures to protect myself or world's cool, but I'm fucked up. There's something wrong with me. So I need other people to depend on. I, I'm a victim. I need to rely on other people. So fundamentally we become like one of two different types of like uh, personas. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, and in doing so, like we just basically become our, what we call unconscious creators, a trauma avatar. We start living on inauthentically. We're starting to believe that, and that's not saying that in a moment, the world's not scary or that I'm, I can get fucked up or things can happen. 
Yeah. So the main thing is, is like, I'm not trying to sound smart or like get this like into like a thing where I'm trying to get this thing because I've been practicing this personally for the last five years and I'm like on a different planet now. Like I'm just like a different, I'm a different, I have a different operating system now. So like I was rocking like Windows 7 and now I'm like Windows 10 and I'm like, wow, this is really crazy. Like all of my relationships are transforming. Like I don't walk around like even my postures change. Like there's a lot of things that are changing because of this practice. And so I want to be able to give this to people. And uh, so I'm basically just, I need help to be able to make that at least be available to people in something they can understand. Cause right now it's, I mean, like when you read all that, what did you get walk away from it? Um, well, first of all, where did this come from? I guess I, uh, conscious creators uh, um, it's been program. slowly un unfolding for about the last we started doing meetings in 2015 here at Pathfinders and we were doing meetings for like four years prior to the pandemic and at that point it was um, mainly the first it was the, the first and the fourth measure so uh, you know, recognizing habit patterns that undermine our purpose. We were like really hyper-focused on like, wow, I, we have these self-defeating beliefs. We have these beliefs that cause us to um, act in certain ways. And it, it causes us to not be able to connect with other human beings and not connect to spiritual awareness. And then that lack of connection, we were all addicts and we were struggling with different things. Some of us were struggling with like OCD and perfectionism. Some of us were struggling with actual drug addiction, some with codependence, some with like, um, yeah, different manifestations of what we call attachment addiction. And so it started just with like, oh, we're all sober now and we put down the drugs and the alcohol, but we're crazy. And my thoughts are driving me nuts and they're diminishing the quality of my recovery. And I keep getting into like situations that are like this girl, like, you know, there's, there's things that are being presented to me, whether it's a loving relationship or creative recognition, things that normal people would be like, wow, this is amazing. This is what life's all about. And the people in those groups were like having weird reactions to them and perceiving those as threats. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, and so we just basically had the hyper awareness of the self-defeating beliefs and we had hyper awareness of the fact that we were, um, you know, our addiction wasn't necessarily just to alcohol and drugs that we were addicted to like invalidating ourselves in different ways. Yeah. So how do we begin to recognize these habit patterns, which undermine our purpose? I guess that's the first part of the process. We recognize those habit patterns which undermine our purpose. So how do we get into a state where we're ready for that? I guess that would be my first question. It's usually, and that's kind of why it's here at Pathfinders. Um, it's usually, let's say, for example, like, you remember when you first came through the doors of AA or 12-step? Yeah, I was an ornery little fucker. <laughs> you know, I hope you still are. I mean, to a certain extent, you know what I mean? Like you still have that spirit, you know what I mean? Like, right. But I, it's acknowledged now. Yeah. 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 But you rec you recognized when you came in, like something about this pattern that I've created, I'll speak for myself. So like 
I, the one that's really obvious is like, I didn't trust people. I didn't know how to connect and let people regulate my emotions. So I used things to regulate my emotions. I would, like you, I worked out. I was in the military. I was just like working out all the time. Or I was like, you know, doing a million different ways of like kind of in a meditative dissociative thing, but I wasn't trusting people. I had ideas about people and I had ideas about people getting close to me and intimate relationships with people that I was like overly relying on things to maintain my emotional well-being. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, I was just thinking because like what, what really finally made me surrender and let go was just physical, mental, and spiritual exhaustion was it was the catalyst for finally working the steps after attempting it two times prior and one of the big problems i had of course was the was the g word mm -hmm. step three um it i mean i was a card-carrying atheist for 30 years you know like my whole life i was very much opposed to i mean just it was a big part of who i who i was but it gets to the point where you know you you, you go to enough AA meetings you try to ignore certain phrases in, in certain language and you know where i came from it felt a lot like going to church you know from the west michigan community there's a very specific type of higher power in that you know every a meeting is the same and it, what's it, that higher power look like for that community where you came uh, from? it looks a lot like zeus but with a less <laughs> yeah and yeah so it was it was very zeus. much it was a very much an old testament kind of the yeah. punishing God, the one that's yeah, going to fuck you up. Yeah, Christian. Yeah. It was a very Dutch Christian reform sort of uh, deity there, which interpreted through certain lenses was not a very pleasant uh, God. And it was very hard. It just always felt so wrong to me. And I always felt like I was in church in those places. And it was very much a rebellion against that. Cause, mm -hmm. um, but I come out here and I finally get away from that. And, you know, I, I, I exchanged one set of goofy wacky ideas to like this LA is just full of woo there's all sorts of crazy beliefs oh, everywhere yeah. you go and they're all like yeah well bringing it into like what you just described I mean coming into these rooms I can imagine it was like you were now introduced to like New Testament God more of like this like kindly fatherly Geppetto thing yeah. as opposed to this guy that who's just like different cultures and oh yeah just so much it was like oh like I okay then I stopped feeling like such a you know, I'm not really fighting against any of these people anymore, which is kind of like whatever is what I think everyone just lives and dies with their own ideas. So it's like, okay, lightened me up a little bit. Um, but it, it, I, I finally had to let go of all that stuff. And that was a huge obstacle to overcome because it, 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 it was a point of pride and a point of philosophical belief. That I well, it was a part of your identity. It was like it, built right into yeah, you. But it, yeah, my, my whole thinking had been very much... The thing with the atheist is the atheist thinks a lot about God, even though he doesn't claim to believe in him. He's always constantly fighting against these ideas. It's like, right. well, that's not, that doesn't make sense because of X, Y, and Z. Always living in an intellectual state to the capacity that they're able to you know, take that. It reminds me of like Trump's derangement syndrome. Like people that hate Trump, never voted for him, they still spend all their time thinking about him. Like right, that exact kind of thing. Kind of thing. Yeah. You, spend, you spend so much of your time fighting and arguing, you don't ever have quiet serenity or peace. Mm -hmm. So it, like for a lot of people, it's either, you know, let go of that and completely surrender to the philosophical ideology that you were fighting the whole time, which is something that happens to a lot of people. Or, I mean, in a situation like me coming to a new place where there's so many different ideas, you know, you can finally just sort of let go and you know, say, hey, I threw the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's not just 
poo-poo the whole spirituality thing altogether. Mm -hmm. But it took a lot of pain to get to the point where it's like, I can't run the show anymore. Mm -hmm. Let go. Stop being such a little skin encapsulated ego running around and trying to run everything. Just turn to somebody else. You know, hey, you tell me what to do here today because I'm having a shitty day. It took a lot to do that. Um, so I guess my what I'm wondering is, is in our process is outlined. Mm -hmm. We recognize those habit patterns. Like ha without going through that pain, without going through those. I'll show you. I'll, I'll, I can answer that right now. So basically, inherent, the, what Conscious Creators is doing is providing a pathway for someone to have an actual personal experience with spiritual insight and with spiritual wholeness and joy, mm -hmm. as opposed to a belief in something that they can't sense internally in any way. And so in conscious creators and people are welcome to create their own lingo, but in the book, the way it's presented right now is that I have an identity and it's who I think I am. So I'm Asher Gray and I'm from Virginia and I got all these things going on and you know, but what I am is a conscious being. So I have this consciousness of being that is what I am. And so what this is doing is helping who I am become reconnected and live in alignment with what I am. And inherent within that connection are what we call the fundamental principles of being. They're just in it. Like we don't have to live by spiritual principles. Like these all have a principle back of it that's going to help us curve our like animal instinctual nature and, you know, live like more in spiritual principles. All of that is just inherent within the consciousness of being. So all we need to do is establish and maintain the connection with that and, and build that relationship. And so what we've discovered, and on the backside of the pamphlet, there's, there's 21 survival patterns that keep us, that when we're indulging in these specific survival patterns, you can call them self-defeating habit patterns. When we say self-defeating habit pattern, we say, it's a pattern of behavior that's undermining our purpose. And if our purpose are the, to fulfill those needs and help others to do the same, all these patterns listed here, pattern of like, you know, being ungrateful and entitled, withholding and rejecting love, lacking compassion for self and others, having unrealistic expectations of self and others, all these different patterns, acting like a victim, gaining self-worth from external validation. These are all things that keep us locked in what we call the trauma avatar. And they keep us in a fearful state of mind and they keep us reactive and needing to control or be controlled. Once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so when, what, what our process is doing is saying, look, okay, like we, we've created some habit patterns and those habit patterns, they don't make their, they keep us in a defective character. They keep us in a reactive mind, a fearful mind, a mind that is incapable of having that relationship with what we are and it can't access that. So there's no inner wholeness or joy. And in that there's this void of incompletion and we're always needing something external to fill that. It doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. It could be validation. It could be a million things. But if we don't have that inner wholeness and joy, if we're not accessing spiritual energy, if we're just running on fossil fuel, it's never enough. So this is something that's actually get, gain, gains you access to spiritual energy so that person can then gain more energy and be full of energy and stop trying to steal energy from other people or things or circumstances. And it's like tangible. It works. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like we're not borrowing energy or stealing energy from things anymore or people. 
we have this interconnection. It's like, it didn't occur to people that like, as we came out of the womb and life started having its way with us and we fell, you know, we fell out of the garden of Eden, we could have just turned around and plugged the outlet right back into the thing and been like powered by spiritual energy. again. We just wandered around looking for all these different things and attaching ourselves to a million things to try to like soothe ourselves externally. When all we really need to do is just get back into alignment internally. And this is a process that helps us do that. So the end, so what we're looking for here is a, is a serenity that comes with all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's inner wholeness. And the only thing that's guaranteed from working this process, the way that I've done it, and I'm the guinea pig for it. I'm not saying, but if you do it a similar way to the way that it's outlined in the book, the way that it was downloaded, it's just wholeness and joy and a sense of inner wholeness and joy. I'm no longer living in instinctual fear anymore and needing obsessed with control because right now we're, we're basically through conscious creators we're introducing a new kind of consciousness of spiritual love and truth where we can live in truth and we can share spiritual love as opposed to living in fear and needing control okay that's the bottom way we're just basically saying fear and control is what it is it's fun but like it, you know, most people are going to hit their own bottom with that and then they're going to, when they hit their bottom, just like you're like, I can't keep doing, or I can't keep smoking meth. I can't keep riding my motorcycle wasted. I can't keep doing these things. Well, there's other things that keep us locked into that fear and control consciousness, living inauthentically in our trauma avatar. Well, it also sounds like it's a very specific type of uh, fear behavior patterns. I, I, it's usually called dread. You're in a constant state of dread which is a type of fear where you're, where you're always worried about what's going to happen next or well, read those patterns. I mean, it's a very, there's some of them are very subtle. Yeah. It's more just about, it's something that like, like, I don't know what run, what just like each of you guys read those patterns and grab one. Like if one of them jumps off the page to you, like you could read the one that's either like, why don't we read them out loud? We'll go for it. Why don't you read, why don't you read one through seven? Okay. Uh, cult, uh, let's see, new life affirming experiences. Below is a list of life affirming habit, habit patterns. Our process helps you to create and corresponding self-defeating habit patterns it overrides. One, cultivate and sustain a perspective of gratitude and humility. Parentheses overrides the perspective of being ungrateful and entitled. Two, expanding our capacity to give and receive love. Parentheses overrides withholding and rejecting love. Three, cultivate kindness and compassion for self and others. Parentheses overrides lacking compassion for self and others. Four, cultivate realistic expectations of self and others. Parentheses overrides having unrealistic expectations of self and others. Five, being an authentic and effective communicator. Parentheses overrides being passive, aggressive, vague, or misunderstood. Six, becoming personally responsible for self and commitments. Parentheses overrides react acting like a victim. Seven, gaining a sense of self-worth from an internal state of wholeness and joy. Parentheses overrides gaining self-worth from validation of others. You want to read eight through? Sure. Um, eight, honoring and ev uh, evolving our authentic connection to truth overrides inauthentic. What is that? Inauthentically. Oh, inauthentically yeah. living in denial of truth. Nine, regulating emotional well-being through human and spiritual connection overrides regulating emotions well-being with addictive mechanisms. 
10, cultivating and sustaining secure and healthy connections overrides creating insecure and unhealthy attachments. 11, the un, uh, taking unnecessary. Taking the necessary. Oh, taking the necessary indicated action while staying out of results. Overrides allowing fear to keep us in inaction. 12, cultivating patience with self and others. Overrides being impatient with self and others. 13, taking uh, consistent action in support of healthy dreams and desires. Overrides neglecting healthy dreams and desires. 14, recognizing and uh, appreciating contributions and sacrifices of others. Overrides taking contributions and sacrifices of others for granted. 15, responding to experiences with sincerity, courage, and wisdom. Overrides reacting to experiences with anger and fear. We'll stop. Uh, we'll stop there. Okay. So, uh, and then there's more. Um, you want to read the last four, or do you want to read up to twenty-one? Sure. Okay, go for it. Sixteen. Recognizing and appreciating kindness and generosity. Parentheses overrides taking kindness and generosity for granted. Seventeen. Recognize and act upon insights of a conscious and creative mind. Overrides reacting to the projections of a fearful mind. Open and receptive. Uh, Eighteen. Open and receptive to new life-affirming possibilities. Parentheses overrides being closed-minded and dismissive. 19, recognizing and embracing opportunities for growth and expansion. Parentheses overrides rejecting opportunities for growth and expansion. 20, living in abundance while bringing creative projects to completion. Parentheses overrides living in scarcity as we neglect creative projects. 21, consciously creating new life-affirming experiences. Parentheses overrides unconsciously creating familiar self-defeating experiences. So, I mean, any of those jump off the page at you? Um, I really liked 5 and 15. Being authentic and, and a, a effective communicator overrides being passive-aggressive, vague, or misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that, um, which I think is pretty high. Can you repeat that last two sentences again? Because we ran out of tape. Um, 80 I would say like somewhere around 80% of my interactions with others are inauthentic. Okay, in what way? Um, either underlying agenda, um, not feeling uh, connected or safe with those people, um, or, you know, some form of, like, defensive protective barrier that I have over my interaction. You Can know you I mean? bring a explain? We've talked about this before because yeah. I'm also your, you know, like we, we work in all yeah. stuff together. Would you mind bringing an example in that comes to mind? Um, conversations with parents um, about vulnerability, um, conversations with new people that I'm meeting, um, relationships at work. Stuff like that. Like just being able to be real and authentic and just like feel what, say what's in your heart, like have a feeling like you have to. Yeah, yes, but there's also, there, there also seems to be a, a like a layer or, or a barrier, or like you said, like a trauma avatar that's kind of like that I'm presenting to that person in mm -hmm. order to either protect myself or save myself from uh, like difficulty or stress. Yeah, I see. You I, know, so I feel there's that. like, there's like a work version of me. There's a version of me that I present to my parents. There's a version of me that I present to my family. Um, there's a version of me that I present to new people. And none of those versions of me are authentic. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that's something I definitely need to work on. And I'm also just 
naturally passive aggressive. I got you. That's just my default setting. So I need to work on that. And then then 15? 15, responding to experiences with sincerity, courage, and wisdom. That's something that I don't always do and I'd really like to do. Um, Overrides reacting to experiences with anger and fear. Um, I think I've gotten better at that in the past couple of years, but um, that was a big deal for me for a very long time. My initial reaction to any new experience, even if I knew it was a positive experience or something I needed in my life, my um, internal mental dialogue was always fearful and protective of myself, Mm -hmm. even though it was even if I knew I needed this, it's going to be a positive experience. like experience is going to help me grow. My mind is telling me like, be careful. This is dangerous. Like mm-hmm. you're not safe. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's another big one. I've gotten better, but it, it is still an issue. Um, and it's something that I've struggled with in the past. Well, and the crux of this would be, there's a huge difference. Like when people start understanding when, when I react is very different than when I respond. And so responding to an experience with sincerity, courage, and wisdom is like a different human being than reacting with fear or anger or yeah, like, you know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like literally, like I, when I react, like my adrenals, you know, you're, you're like a trainer, like you're a, like a fitness guy. Like when I react with fear, my adrenals, like I secrete survival hormones. Like I start secreting like adrenaline and cortisol and things like that. And that activates what we call the trauma avatar of what you could say someone pushes my chump button or someone mm-hmm. triggers me in a situation. Next thing I know, I get hot or I'm fucking like whatever. It's instant aggression. Instant yep. aggression. And we're no longer. Well, that's, and that's a survival mechanism that animals have. Correct. That we've inherited. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get it, it, it's as simple as uh, using the example because um, in all these training, because it's something that I know uh, there's planes of motion. Now you can move front and back and then side to side, the side to side, left to right. We call that the frontal plane of motion, right? Humans are very uh, insecure and clumsy moving left to right. So the older you get into adulthood, the harder it is for you to navigate that space without getting a little bit I'm feeling like I'm losing my balance. So that insecurity can trigger that, which can trigger aggression. It can trigger that uh, fear response. So that's why when you're walking down the street and Mm -hmm. you do that clumsy, awkward dance with a person, Mm -hmm. you go left, they go right, you bump into each other. Oh, sorry, sorry. You know, eventually you get kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like You're just like, dog. I'm going to eat you. <laughs> yeah, there's like, it's like when you try to take a dog's dish away, you get the same response. There's like that instant aggression. Right. You don't know the person. They feel just as pissed off and uncomfortable. And But it's it's our reflexive response to those types of situations. We react to fear with aggression. It's mm-hmm. perfect. And correct. So like what we're saying is, is like maybe in a thousand years, there's going to be a completely different humanoid that's on the planet mating and making babies with people that's not <laughs> going to have that same reflexive response. And you can already kind of see it in like the younger kids. They're much more, they call them snowflakes or whatever you call them. But there's just this inherent sensitivity built into them that like we from your generation to your generation to my generation on back was just not something that was even on our radar. We had no awareness of that. We were like, you know, for us to be that or show that or be vulnerable like that was just like, what the fuck is this? You You still attack deviants. Yeah, dude. You're weird. You're different. Yeah, exactly. And so what we're saying here is that, but we are heading in that direction. And we're like, some of us are going to need to work harder than others to build in that pause thing and start gaining insights, spiritual insights in order to create new patterns in order to survive. 
because if we're living in fear and we're vibrating in fear, we don't have any access to spiritual insights. We can't download and we can't update our operating system and we're becoming obsolete. Well, one thing that's happened with me, because now that I understand the mechanics of this a little bit, when those situations happen, when I'm, it's more funny now because I still feel the same aggression, the same, but it's a storm of chemicals that's going on in my brain and I'm aware of it now. So mm -hmm. I think part of the deal, uh, talking about cultivating these new perspectives on things is, you know, I, I know what's happening. So if I'm in an otherwise lucid state that I've been working on throughout the day and something like that happens, ooh, a little bit of aggression, here it comes, the wave hits, it's like getting lightheaded for a second instead of getting angry. A little bit of adrenaline is going to pass, a little bit of aggression, it passes much more quickly. And I act my way into better behavior and I let go of it. Mm -hmm. Instead of holding on, my habit is, it's not so much that that's not going to happen anymore, but my attention to that anger and frustration and, you know, sense of vulnerability by accidentally bumping into a person is going to be, uh, I'm not going to be grasping it so hard and so long i'm going to just let okay that happened let it go and just turn my thoughts towards something else and then it just passes instead of me being like that fucker walking down the street mm -hmm. yeah. and even if i'm not mad at them anymore now i'm just kind of in a grr sort of mood and then the next thing that happens i'm even more pissed and that builds yeah so instead of just like letting it go when it happens you know i carry on a sense of aggression that just gets more and more intense and by the time i'm driving home in traffic i'm swinging out my window with a golf club cursing people's children and Right. And so that's what, what this is doing is saying like what you're deciding is like when you're in your lucid thing and you're kind of in your meditative place and then something bangs into you and like something triggers you and then you notice that you've, you've, you've now are in that state of mind. It's very obvious as opposed to someone who's living in that state of mind all the time. Right. And so it's a very noticeable and you can go, Oh, all right, cool. Now I'm knocked off the spiritual surfboard. I'm in my like fucking someone push my chump button. I'm crazy, like whatever else. But like what this is doing is basically rewiring the brain so that we don't even even notice. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, like I'm not even like like through the practice and doing this for like five years. Cause what happened at some point is is like our instinct brain used to have like a really important job. Like it was like CEO of like human mankind it, 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 like it, ink. Like we were hunting and building shelter and doing all this crazy stuff. And now we're like sitting in cubicles or like doing a lot of stuff that doesn't involve the instinct brain in the same capacity it once was like so it's creating busy work. It's created this trauma avatar it's created this like it's created this trauma avatar in order to keep itself entertained and feeling uh important and useful in the same capacity it once did when we were like really needing our instincts in a different way does that make sense constantly surviving constantly surviving because the only way it stays in control is if we continue to survive and our trauma avatar is surviving in a diff its needs for survival are completely different than what's actually needed for my authentic self to survive um real quick because i'm noticing something as i'm hearing as i'm hearing this i think for me personally it's kind of important for me to um to put like you said put my own um vocabulary to this yes and so i have um done some spiritual work in the past you know to some extent but i think that people have um they have their own relation to is that the right word like um relating to these experiences you're talking about mm -hmm. 
to a certain extent. And, and I think, um, that's important. Cause like with the spiritual surfboard thing, like I understood, I understand that. Um, but as you were describing it, I realized that like, I have that same type of thing where it's like, I don't remember where I picked it up, but it's, it's like me sitting in my chair, you know, and that's my spiritual surfboard. And oh, it's like, okay. every time I get up out of my chair to deal with something, that's me reacting to an experience, being in a reactive state of mind and not, um, acting with like fear or anger and not compassion or, gotcha. or like receptivity, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just really interesting because like those little moments where I'm able to relate what you're saying to like either my own vocabulary or personal experiences, those are the little moments for me that like, I have like an aha moment with what you're saying. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Okay. And I'm like, Oh, that's what it is. Like, that's what the spiritual surfboard is. It's, because you, you know, can relate me, it back yeah, into like your own me sitting yeah. in my chair. Oh, I get that. I've done that. I understand that experience. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like, I just found that very interesting because those moments is like, what's going to help me connect to this process. Better. So what would be something that could be built? Like is basically, that's the cool thing about this. It's like, I'm just describing these terms and these concepts and the, the, as best I can and putting language to it. But it's not like a Bible where it's like thou shall, whatever. It's like people are encouraged to come up with their own thing. It has to make sense yeah. for them. They need to walk away. Some would call their trauma avatar, their insecurity guard. Some would call right, it their right. unconscious character. Exactly. Some would call it their persona. Some would call it their shadow self or their ego, yeah. like whatever resonates with the person. But it's a thing. It's, it's an energy thing. Yeah. Yeah. that when I get triggered into my fear and I become reactive and I get instinctual, it activates and I'm looking at the world and I'm connecting to my moments and people in it through a different lens than I was just five minutes before when I was in alignment on my surfboard and just open and receptive. Yeah. What's your thing? What do you call it? Uh, How are you doing with all this? I, I, I'm taking it all in. And one of the things that I, I've, learned about myself since i've been in recovery and I've, I've expressed this to my girlfriend because she's very intelligent speaks very clearly she's like you she's very articulate um but I, I tend to think in pictures and mechanisms and it takes me a moment to ascribe language to some of the things that i'm seeing in my head so mm -hmm. this is a new picture that's starting to take shape and as it takes shape i'm yeah it's it's starting to become a little bit more clear when it when i when i think about myself and my past experiences or trauma um, I, 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 I use it as persona, past persona or past experience or past, you know, I consider it the past, the resonance of the past is mm. still, you know, with me. And I find myself in many situations still you know, responding to things aggressively or angrily the way I normally would five, 10 years ago when I was using drugs. Can you mind like, uh, like just describing one of those situations, like something that's common that you recognize you're like, oh, fuck, like this keeps coming up. Whenever I see in a group of people, like at an AA meeting or some boisterous personality who's like, you know, wants to talk and is just sitting there taking up a lot of time. I want to be like you fucked our douchebag. Yeah. Everyone's sick of listening to you sit, but you no, know, give someone else a chance or, or some some old guy you can't. It's so funny. It's yeah, funny. some old guy you just can't seem to shut up. You know, it's like, oh, here he goes. This guy's gonna talk for fifteen minutes about the old days. Yeah, and then, like you just want to be like, dude, just die already. <laughs> 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 but, like, go on. Be, you know, 
and it's it's it, it's taken a lot and that's one of the reasons why meetings are so good is because you're constantly put into situations where you have to exercise your your, your soul through that you have to just like you know i'm the one with the problem not this guy and one of the things that i've learned in 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 recovery and, and doing this sort of work is that um what I'm mad at is that I want to talk, you know, I want to sit there for 15 minutes because my story is cooler than yours. Yeah. Or like the people that are always trying to like tell their suffering cred. Oh man, I work with gangsters or, you, right. you know, so many people died. I've been through so much. It's like, motherfucker, you go to a war and talk to me about this, you know, like everyone hurts all the time. Always. I want to scream at people sometimes, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's, it's me not being in check right now. It's like, why, what does it matter? This so this like, person needs this why am i being a dick you know so like prior to like conscious creators like I, that would be like as far like for and i'll just use an example because i think like I'll, I'll just take it back to my roommate who i'll talk about anonymously and she doesn't mind me using this this analogy but like she grew up with a very specific narcissistic energy raising her and the person just went on and on and on and on about the same stories all the time like she, her cheese slid off the cracker a long time ago and she, all she has it's like this our avatar of you just press play and she'll just talk about the same thing over and over these stories from like 40 years ago but that's all that's there there's nothing else it's like sure. that's it's so but like a person prior to doing this work might think well, when this person starts to talk a certain way, I get triggered and all of a sudden I'm anticipating and next thing I know I'm fucking out the door or I'm fucking emotionally punching this girl or I'm like out and that never dawned on me that like this person was triggering this pattern because of the way my grandma talked to me or the way my mom talked to me or like someone else. And so like because people used to hold me hostage with this bullshit. So like from, from, from my experience, whenever whenever I hear someone kind of doing that like that one up my story is awesome you know i gotta show it like my story everyone needs to hear this you know that kind of one-upmanship starts mm -hmm. happening it triggers me because i come from a background of people that are like that there you, you go know, it's very alpha male shit you know it's like i'm gonna you know well you did that well guess what i did my story is twice as good as you so like <laughs> when i hear people prattling on about their life experience so i've been through this i've been through that it's like how you know it triggers that in me where it's like yeah well you think you're better than me you know and it's like chest beating stuff so it's like stuff stuff i had to work on to be more okay with myself um mm -hmm. which brings to the that the life affirming experience number one cultivate and sustain a perspective of mm -hmm. gratitude and humility mm -hmm. And, and right there, I'd like to stop because like everyone should have their own definition of humility. There's a definition in the book, but I'd like to hear what you're, what, how do you define humility? Uh, how does that, mean, what does that look like for you? Humility for me has to be, has to do with being honestly aware of myself and how I'm affecting the room around me and not presenting myself with a lot of pomp and a lot of ego and, and mm. accepting that I'm a flawed person. And then I do make mistakes and not not speaking with such vigor and authority that it might be construed as condescending. It has a lot to do with behavior, mm -hmm. uh, being humble, admitting that I can be wrong, that I'm not as great as I might feel like I am when I'm drunk or at any given moment, depending on what I've eaten or how excited I am or how much caffeine I've had or something like mm -hmm. that. That's a good definition. Mm -hmm. What's your definition of humility? Um, or how does it resonate I think we with you? I think we looked it up one time mm -hmm. and I my definition of humility was um, 
different before that, but we looked it up and I think it was something along the lines of accurate self-appraisal. Mm-hmm. Which is what he just described. That, yeah, that sounds like a perfect. Yeah, yeah. Good and job, I yeah. I like that because it's just like it's not too little or too big. It's you're just not, like yeah. you're honest about where you're at. It's not giving yourself points when you don't deserve it. It's not beating yourself up, making yourself less than. Mm-hmm. It's just accurate, you know. So when cultivating a perspective of gratitude and humility, it's there's two parts of it. It's being able to recognize and embrace like light, life and the beauty and all the opportunities for growth and expansion. But like you're saying with humility, it's me being able to just be okay with where I'm at and be honest and live in that truth, not have to put on a show or be in my persona or my character or act a certain way for someone because they need me to be a certain way. I can just recognize where I'm at, acknowledge it, and probably then move on from that. One of them begets the other for me too. Let's just talk about that. What do you mean? Well, with regards to humility. I don't know what beget means. I I don't know that. Is (laughs) that a biblical term? It leads to the other. It (laughs) completes. It encompasses. It it promotes and causes. With regards to humility, I'm not just going to be humble. I'm not going to just have an accurate self-appraisal unless I do have some gratitude in my life. Because if I need to bolster Mm -hmm. myself up, I'm not being... I'm. I'm not accurately appraising the things in my life in a, in a positive light. There are so many things in the world that I need to remember that I have that I didn't before and that I am, that I'm happy about. And that makes me feel wonderful to, you know, get up in the morning and be able to eat. And no matter how physically bad I feel or how tired, whatever, mm-hmm. there are good things in my life today. And if I lose and, and the addiction in my brain tends to take that over and start awfulizing everything and oh, everything mm-hmm. sucks because the road to all negative thoughts in my head is heroin. That's the end of the road. Wherever, if I follow negative, That's the gun in the mouth? Is that what you mean? Yeah, like, well, that's, that's if like I a, indulge negative thinking, inevitably oh, I will be a dead heroin addict. Like that's where I'll be. So mm-hmm. like what happens is, is in order to combat that, I can't just muscle through it. I don't have endless mm-hmm. stamina. I have to find a way to let go of all that thinking by grabbing onto something else. Mm-hmm. And it takes practice. It takes gratitude lists. It takes, it takes moments out of my day where I have to take a deep breath and think about stuff actively. I have people that I love. I have things that I love. And, and that allows me to let go of some of that negative thinking, all of that trauma mm-hmm. and fear and anger and whatever, what have you, and, and start to actually honestly and accurately appraise where I'm at, what I'm thinking, who I am, and how I'm affecting others. And it enables me then to start uh, treating people as ends in themselves and not just obstacles between me and something I might want at any given moment. Have more authentic interactions with people as opposed to just being short with them or just, jam looking over your shoulder, how do I get out of your way or whatever. Right. Well, so that's why number one is that. So like if we're ungrateful and we're not humble and we're acting entitled or we're being self-deprecating or whatever the thing is, well, those are symptoms that we're in our avatar and we're no longer coming for that life from our like authentic higher self. We're in this, this thing, you know what I mean? And so what, 
what we do is like, cause there's 10,000 thoughts that a brain will have throughout the course of the day. And when I'm engaged in this practice, what I'm doing is I'm taking my chaotic undisciplined brain and I'm basically telling it I'm activating my masculine energy. Cause we're, we have a dual nature as human beings. We have the receptive, more feminine nature, which a lot of people are living in today, especially being docile and being on these screens all the time. And then we have this masculine expressive nature, but every person, male and female has a masculine masculine and the feminine nature. They have a, a receptive and an expressive part to themselves. And so what this is doing is taking the masculine part and sending a stream of vibratory energy to the feminine part, which we would call the subconscious or the unconscious mind. And it's raising that person's vibration. And it's actually increasing the person's vibration by the commands that we're giving it through the practice of these mantras. So there's a specific way that all of these these spiritual mantras are inputted into the brain and it changes the thought impressions in the unconscious and it changes, it ta it intervenes upon those habit patterns and makes them dormant. Like you would intervene on a drug addiction. You stop using for 30 days. You're no longer actively obsessing on it. Well, this is intervening upon all the neural pathways in the brain that are keeping us in that fear and that avatar. All right. Yeah, Go ahead. and real quick, um, there's a science behind it. It yeah, goes back is. nine thousand uh, years. Yeah. It goes back to like the Kabbalion, like the yeah. Hermetic principles. I was gonna say because there was a that documentary, like "What the Bleep Do We Know," where they talk about emotional addictions and stuff, mm -hmm. and like what we're doing is essentially rewiring the brain. We have an emotional um, automatic reaction to to be fearful, angry, or meet certain situations with defense. Mm -hmm. And what Protect. we're doing is we're interrupting that that instant automatic reaction and we're replacing it with what we decide to replace it with whether it's compassion or um even just a pause mm -hmm. instead of that that anger you're literally you know recreating neural pathways and shutting down old neural pathways yep so yeah it is, it is rewiring the brain it, that's exactly it's, what it's a, exactly what it's doing it's installing yeah. a new operating system that's not instinctually reactive but it's intuitive and it's something that where where we're actually it's like uh it's the difference between being like an instinctually reactive animal that has to like train itself and put a curb bit in its mouth in order to play well with others as opposed to like a person who's just like living in i don't know how to explain put it that like, part into words I, I think it's as simple as like if you've ever played video games you have an inverted you can choose to be inverted with the controller or you can choose to not be it's like if you switch everything is reversed and you just it, it takes a minute for you to remind yourself every time you push up and your character goes down you have to remind yourself <laughs> oh i'm not inverted anymore i need to go this way to go up oh wow and so it's just it's that simple it's like you know because that's kind of that over and over a couple times and eventually it's automatic and over time, what's happened is, is these ones that were super duper, like troublesome are now they're like, like you say, like basically writing a gratitude list and being kind of like haphazardly about this stuff, like seeing that we have all this stuff and there's people in the program that work the steps and do the resentment list and do all this stuff. And over a course of like 20 years, a lot of that stuff fades away. A lot of like those self-defeating habit patterns that we created in response to trial, childhood neglect and trauma and things that we couldn't control, they change, they mutate, they, they evolve. But if we use, I've been using this process, it's like, it's like expediting the process. So it's like, what would be, would take me like 20 years. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, like it just, it just, it's like, 
I'm actively participating in that evolutionary process right. rather than being super slow and unintentional and, del and undeliberate with it. Because I can't live in fear. I can't live in anxiety and fear. And fear has a gradient scale. It's not just like this, like what you're saying, the doom and the, like, I thought they, at first it was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like I don't want to die. And then it's like, oh, but I also don't want to be dominated. I also don't want to be cornered. I don't want people to like abandon me. There's a million other kind of like insecurities that keep me well reactive. And when I'm reactive and I'm insecure, like all roads lead back to a meth pipe. Like yeah. if I, my, my brain can't always be reactive, I can't live in survival mode. If I live in survival mode and I'm always reactive like that, I got a shelf life. I'm like taking years off my life. Period. And so this is a way to get out of instinct mode and start to live in the love and truth consciousness, as opposed to living in the fear and, and obsession with control. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. I think we're good for today. Thanks, guys, for showing up to do that for an hour.